Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to turn our attention to God's word this morning, um, and I'm excited to do that with you as we uh, continue our worship um, this morning. Our Old Testament reading uh, for this week, the third week following Epiphany, turns to turns us to a new book of the Bible, one that we haven't dealt with um, recently, um, the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are are a couple of fascinating books. They actually fall in line with the time period we've been talking about as we've been in the in the book of Israel and and Israel's return from exile from the from the uh, Empire of Babylon. Scholars are, are fairly certain these two books really are one literary work. In other words, they started together um, and were the, same, were the same book originally, were the same literary work, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, in fact, the first time we ever see them separated is in the, in the fourth century uh, when one of the writers, kind of for clarity and just because it was a long book and kind of heavy, separated uh, the two of them out. Um, as they were compiled by a philosopher named um, Origen. The point being, they really need to be understood together, Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, They chronicle the return of Israel back from the Babylonian exile. And as we talked about Isaiah, we talked about how he was kind of of prophesied before uh, Israel was taken into exile and and was saying, look, we're, we're headed for disaster. We're headed for disaster. We're, we're going that direction, um, and, and we need to turn, and we need to correct. Um, and eventually Babylon came in and took over and took the nation of Israel into exile, into the Babylonian empire. Um, Israel saw the writing on the wall and, and foretold or foretold the pending judgment. But it had been decades earlier before this had happened, uh, and toward the end part of Isaiah, we, we chatted about how things had just not gone as well as they had hoped as they returned to the promised land, as they returned uh, to the, the land uh, of their ancient ancestors. Um, what Ezra and Nehemiah do is give us this little glimpse, this little glimpse into the process of that return. Okay, the return was led by, by three main characters. Uh, two of them are dealt with in the book of Ezra. We're not going to turn to Ezra. We're going to turn to Nehemiah. But, but Ezra, the book of Ezra chronicles two of the three main characters who, who led the process of this return. Zerubbabel, that's a mouthful, Zerubbabel, uh, and, and Ezra. Uh, and they really focused on, on the restoration of the temple. That was Zerubbabel's uh, project was he was going to restore the temple, the place of worship that the Israelite nation and the Israelite people had known. And so that was his focus, and that was his 
his project. Um, Ezra came, and his, his project was to begin to teach the Torah and to, to begin to turn the Israelite people um, back toward the teachings that they found there and to start rebuilding the community of Israel. Nehemiah's job was to rebuild the walls, for he came to Jerusalem and saw a city that was defenseless and that was subject to uh, invasion, subject to attack. And he said, we need to rebuild the walls. And, and after these renovations and restorations have kind of taken place, the attention of the book of Nehemiah turns to a kind of spiritual renovation, a spiritual reawakening for the people of Israel that, that really needs to take place for the people of God, for, for they had been exiled. They had been away from their customs, from their rhythms of worship. They had been exposed to the Babylonian gods, to the false idols, and to the places that, that would steer them away from Yahweh. And so the beginning of that spiritual renewal is, is kind of where our reading starts this week. So we're going to be turning to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have a device that has the scriptures, you can, you can open it up and point it in that direction. Um, today we're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 8, the first 10 uh, verses of chapter 8. Now, um, the lectionary reading leaves out two verses, and I think the reason they leave out two verses is that they have a whole bunch of names in them. Um, and so you're going to enjoy me trying. I put the verses back in because I don't like to skip verses when we have readings like this. But if I stumble over some of these Hebrew names, you'll, you'll forgive me. But uh, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, I ask those who are willing and able to please stand as we read the scripture this morning. A reading from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. A reading from the Common English Bible this morning. When the seventh month came and the people of Israel were settled in their towns, all the people gathered together in the area in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the instruction scroll from Moses, according to which the Lord had instructed Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the instruction before the assembly. The assembly was made up of both men and women and anyone who could understand what they heard. Facing the area in front of the water gate, he read it aloud from early morning until the middle of the day. He read it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and everyone listened attentively to the instruction scroll. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose, and standing beside him were Mattathiah, Shema, Aneah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right-hand side, while Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam stood on his left-hand side. Standing above all the people, Ezra the scribe opened the scroll in the sight of all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all of the people answered, Amen, Amen, while raising their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites... Joshua, Abani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah helped the people to understand the instruction while the people remained in their places. They read aloud from the scroll the instruction from God, explaining and interpreting it so the people could understand what they heard. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who 
taught the people, said to all of the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. They said this because all the people wept when they heard the words of the instruction. Go, eat rich food and drink something sweet, he said to them, and send portions of this to any who have nothing ready. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't be sad because the joy from the Lord is your strength. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. I did all right with those names, so I practiced, practiced a couple of times. Let me ask you this question, and you can actually feel free to respond if you feel led, like out loud, like answer the question. What do you read out loud? Recipes? The Bible? Instructions? Song lyrics? What's that? Daily devotional? Yeah. Children's books. Yeah. Uh, children's books, definitely. I, I, uh, we have reading homework every day after school, um, and sometimes it's important to, to have the kids begin to read out loud to, to help with their fluence, fluency. Um, I, I made a list. Uh, assembly instructions, right? When you have a helper there and you're both trying to figure out what in the world this means. It's better when there's like words and not actually pictures if the words actually form sentences, which sometimes they don't. Um, board game rules, right? That's not how you're supposed to play. Well, see, let me read it. Um, the newspapers, um, sometimes banners and signs, right? Once the kids learn how to read, then the whole world opens up, and they're like, Dad, that says donuts. <laughs> um, you're right, it did. Who taught you how to read? Um, sometimes jokes, bad dad jokes get read out loud. Um, younger kids, in, in their world of imagination, uh, I love to hear them talk out loud, who choose to, to share their imagination stories out loud, right? A car race, or, or a dance in a ballroom, an epic battle, um, or kids who play house, right? And, and they tell these elaborate stories of who's going to win, or who's going to pass, or, or what this person said uh, to that person, you know, gather up all the stuffed animals around, around the table uh, and have, have a tea party. When the people of God got together during this chapter, it says that, that Ezra pulled out the law and began to read out loud in this passage. And, and there's, a, there's a couple of things uh, to note here uh, in, in this passage. The first, the first thing that, that kind of jumps out is the audience. Nehemiah is very clear about the audience and repeats himself multiple times. Um, in verse 1 and 3 and 5 and 9, he says, all the people, all the people had come. In verse 2, he, he designates that there were men present and there were women present and all who were able to understand, implying that there were children even presents, older children who, who came, who could understand what the, the scroll of instruction would say. This is, this is a significant uh, a detail, one not to be overlooked in the life especially of Israel. Uh, I was reading one commentator, Ed Edlin, who says, women and children did not ordinarily participate in the formal religious services since they were not permitted in the temple area. Their inclusion signified something special this day. 
as Nehemiah came back and Nehemiah was invested in, okay, we've, we've come back. We've come back to the land that was promised to us from the time of Abraham as he was called up from the, the land of Ur. And, and we were given this special place, taken away, destroyed by Babylon, carried off as, as exiles, but we had come back and rebuilt our place of worship and begun to form a community again and rebuilt the walls. Now it was time. This was a significant moment for the people uh, of Israel. This was for the whole community and the entire people. The second thing that kind of jumps out is, is the speaker, Ezra. Uh, Ezra had kind of started his work in, in, in the book of Ezra, had, had begun to teach the Torah and tried to build this community. And he was the leader who'd, who'd come back to try to rebuild this sense amongst the people. This is what he felt called to. This was God's design for his life. This was literally why he was in Israel with his people and, and his mission and his focus as he came. <laughs> the third thing that, that kind of stands out is the length of this teaching session. Uh, the reading of the law says it went from early morning to the middle of the day. So I figure if this sermon goes a little bit long, I have some precedent here, you know. I'm not sure. Early morning to middle of the day, what's that? 7 a.m. to noonish? Five hours. Okay. All right. I'd take that challenge on. Uh, it does say that this, though. It says that everyone, men, women, even some older kids, listened attentively to the instruction scroll. I, I had uh, one in my study this week of, of this passage. It says, it, it shows that the people were hungry. This, is, this, hadn't been, this hadn't been necessarily taught to all the people, but they were hungry for God's word. They were hungry for instruction. They wanted to know what the law said, what the scripture said. The, the, in, in this period of time where, where projects had kind of taken over, they had to rebuild and restore the temple. They had to rebuild the wall and, and build up their defenses. That there was probably a, a lack of spiritual nourishment over this time period where projects had kind of taken, taken over. You know, when you're, when you're caught up in a project, that's your attention. That's your focus. And it was time now for the people of Israel to be retaught and re-enlivened by the instruction that God had given them. And that can be our, our, our problem too. Uh, even, even today, even in our world, life will get busy. Have you noticed that? Life will get busy. I thought I was busy in high school. Then I went to college. I thought I was busy in college. And then I got out of college. I thought I was busy out of college. And then I had kids. And I thought I was busy with kids. Yeah, I was busy with kids. Um, <laughs> I thought I was busy with one kid. And now we have a few more. Life gets busy. There's much to do. And we have this drive to be productive. I, I don't know if you have this drive. I have this drive to be productive. It's kind of the, like the American dream. Go, go do something. Go, go get something done. Earn some money, but, but produce something. Produce, produce. Zerubbabel and, and Nehemiah kind of had easier jobs in the productivity side of things. They were to rebuild the temple. They were to rebuild the wall. When they were done, they stood back and they said, 
There it is. We did our work. We did our jobs. We did what God had called us to. And I'm not belittling the importance of those projects. But I think it's easy for us sometimes to get caught up rebuilding the temple or to get caught up rebuilding the wall, a project with a timeline and a finish point. And as industrious Westerners think, ah, well, now we're getting somewhere. See what we have accomplished. It's easy to get sucked into that mentality. It's easier for me to get sucked into that mentality. But for this gathering of Israel, we see a glimpse of a nation understanding that there was something much more important at work, something much more important for them to do than to just produce. And they get the sense that in this from early morning to midday meeting, lost in five hours, that hearts were captured. This moment of worship, this moment of reading the instruction scroll began to catch fire in their hearts. They were introduced to worship. They were introduced to this idea that this God that had brought them back and, and had brought them back to the land of their ancestors from the exile that they had experienced in Babylon was worthy of their worship. I love the chances we have to worship. I love that the vow gives us freedom in worship to, to take whatever posture that, that is appropriate or, or that, that we feel led to exhibit in those moments of worship, whether that's sitting in our chairs or standing to our feet or coming to these altars to pray. We have freedom. And we have a sense here that, that this kind of happened with the Israelite people. It says, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do the hanky-waving thing, you know, running up and down the aisles, but, but that people were standing, people were, were sitting, people were bowing down in their faces. It says they said, amen, amen. They bowed down and worshiped at the altar on this day. As they did so, I, I, I'm intrigued about something that we read in, in, in verse 8. Um, Dr. Roger Hahn highlighted this text as the first time we have recorded in Scripture that our Scripture, our holy text, the, the, the instruction that we get from God needs interpretation. Did you catch that? In, in verse 8, verse 8 says this, they read aloud from the scroll of the instruction from God, explaining and interpreting it so the people could understand what they had heard. He stated that likely the, the common spoken language was Aramaic, and, and this text was, was written in Hebrew. And, and while those were similar, and while those were understandable to each other, it says this whole group of people, and I'm not going to repeat all their names because I did it once, and that was enough. This whole group of people, their job was to help them understand and to interpret these texts. I kind of felt like Israel thought knew what they were supposed to do all along, and they were pretty good at it, about following the law. This text seems to imply something different, that these people who worshipped back then weren't, it wasn't automatic for them, that it took understanding, that some of them needed it explained to them in this time, likely some, 
some interpretation and explanation needed to take place. And there's a whole group of Levites that came and served the people by saying, do you need to understand? Can I help you understand what this means? How this is played out in your life? Where do you have that in your life? Who's your group of Levites that you get together with and say, I think this is what the, the scripture is speaking to you. I hope it happens on Sunday morning. But I hope you have other areas, other, other ways of diving into scripture and, and having it interpreted, having it explained to you. I need it. I need it every week. And I hope you have multiple places where you go to help understand people that you have to help you understand the scriptures. Even for these Israelites, maybe, maybe they were just a lot like us. <laughs> we, we, we were just talking on Wednesday night in our Old Testament class uh, about how sometimes the stories and the people and the situations and the cultures of this book, particularly the Old Testament, seem very far away, very distant, like, like separated from us. I mean, we live in America. It's the 21st century it's been a crazy century so far. Um, but it just seems distant. It seems like a long ways off. We tend to distance ourselves from the people and the stories that we find there. And this portion of Scripture just speaks to me that here the Israelites were and they needed a group of people to come and surround them and say, help us understand. We just don't get it. How can we, how can we do this? How can we live this way? Help us. They weren't robots who had it all figured out. And particularly for this remnant who had come back from Babylon, who had, who had been away for so long and, and lost the rhythms of worship and lost the customs of Israel and, and forgotten who Yahweh was. They needed to understand. And sometimes we need that too. And we see what appears to be kind of this great respect for the reading of Scripture, right? I mean, first, in, in verse 5, this, this is the first group that stood for the reading of the Word, I think, that we have in, in Scripture, right? Uh, they were responding. They're saying, Amen. It says they were raising their hands. They were bowing down, worshiping with their faces to the ground, verse 6. What a response. A sense of... of of conviction, a sense of, of this has meaning for us. This, this tells us what we should be doing and perhaps we haven't been living up. Verse 8, it says, they wept. All the people wept when they heard the words of the instruction. Why would they weep? Why would it generate this kind of response in the people of God, in the nation of Israel? I think, I think, this is an act of conviction an act of, of, of contrition. In, in, in the reading of the text, the people of Israel were brought to tears, weeping tears of repentance, saying, I want to live a holy life. I want to do what this book says. I want, to, I want to live the way God had intended me. I want to step into that new life, step into, into what God is calling me to. Make me holy. <laughs> Make me obedient. Help me finish what you started in me. Sometimes I think today, in the world today, 
We've lost a little bit of that conviction. Sometimes I think people think this, this book, this collection of instructions is like a lot of good suggestions. <laughs> we, we can develop this habit that looks good. Uh, that, that we're, we, we look at God's word kind of theoretically or, or it's some kind of mental exercise or, ooh, that was a good lesson. What, what parts of that can I apply to my life? It holds some good thoughts, holds some interesting guidance. But more often it should cut us to the heart. It should call us to conviction and repentance. The people of Israel wept. They bowed down to the ground and said, this isn't how I've been living. This isn't what I've been doing. I want to be faithful. I want to be holy. I want to step in to this new creation that God is calling me to. Help me, God. For it's been interpreted. It's been explained. It, it, it convicts my heart. And now I want to live this way. God, help me. Not all of us weep and cry. Not all of us bow to the ground. Not all of us stand. Not many of us say, Amen, Amen, in the middle of the preacher's sermon. That's what they did. But it should definitely disturb us sometimes. It should definitely disrupt us sometimes. It should definitely land on our souls and land on our spirits in a way that's meaningful and significant because that's how we become new. That's how we live a new life. The interesting part for Israel is how it finishes for them. How it finishes for the people of Israel. Um, Nehemiah encourages them to not stay in mourning mode, right? He, in the last verse, don't get swallowed up in grief. Don't get swallowed up in this conviction. Don't, don't, don't live in this guilty place. I think that's good instruction for we can weep with conviction. We can have strong intentions to be holy. But don't go down that cycle of grief and depression and get so defeated that you make no effort. When the Lord speaks, when instruction is given, when the Lord prompts us to become new and, and to make change, we need to celebrate that. When conviction brings change, we celebrate the grace of God in our lives. For it's not like a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps type of change. It's that God's Spirit moved in us and changed us from the inside out. And I love that the celebration of the change of God for Nehemiah, what did he say? He said, go eat rich food. Go drink something sweet. Go out to Smoky Mountain Peace. I don't know what it is. Go roast the turkey. We had, a, we had a phrase called beat the Baptist. Like you get, you get done with church first and you beat the Baptist to the restaurants. I don't know that that's very Christian, but not like beat the Baptist. Like get there first, okay? But he says, go eat rich food. Drink something sweet. But he includes the one that has none. Did you hear that? And send portions of, any, of this to any who have nothing ready. Even in the celebration of the conviction of God, Nehemiah remind, or Ezra reminds the people of God and says, don't forget about the one who has none. Don't forget about the one who has none. 
I love the celebration of the change of God includes neighbor, including the one who has none or has little. Here we see Israel not having kind of the me and God moment. Sometimes it's easy to get sucked into that too. God, you've been so good to me and oh, how you've, how you've championed me and I want to live a holy life and help me and me and me and I and I and I. And the Christian experience walking with God is definitely a we experience. So we go together with our church family, with those who walk with us and with our neighbor. And yet even more interesting is to see and to realize where this book of Nehemiah goes after this point. And I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead and you can read this week if you're interested the the finish of the of the book of Nehemiah. The, this theme of spiritual renewal and God wanting to work in the people of Israel continues for several chapters, five chapters, from chapter eight through chapter twelve. Um, uh, there's just this emphasis on on spiritual renewal for the people of Israel. <laughs> and then we have chapter 13, just a, a tragic outcome <laughs> for, for, the, for the nation of Israel. Nehemiah finishes his book by describing kind of his tour of the city, telling the reader that, that he had been gone for a while. When he came back and, and looked at the city, the people were doing their own thing, not walking faithfully. He gets so frustrated. He starts scolding people and yelling at people. It says it was, he was like ripping out their hair, I, I won't do that as the preacher. I won't. I promise. And he ends with this. Oh, God, remember that I was good. Despite what these people, have, how, despite how they've responded, God, I tried my hardest with these people. And I look back on Nehemiah 8, and I look back on the weeping that happened, and I look back on the conviction, and I think, what happened? what happened. Their finish was, was not good. And the question for us becomes when God speaks to us, when, when, when we weep with conviction, when, when the word is explained to us, when it says, be holy, just, just do what the word says, follow through. How does it finish for us? When we read God's word, when, when conviction comes, let us not mirror the example set by Israel. <laughs> cut, we're cut to the heart and then go feast on a big meal and then forget about it. That's a horrible story for the nation of Israel. God doesn't call us and challenge us and convict us only to have this brief moment, like this, this deep spiritual high, like this encounter with God to say, oh, that was nice. I'm going to go out to eat and forget about it. When the preacher leaves, when the word isn't read to us, when accountability is on ourselves to grow, it's up to us to change. It's us to, uh, up to us to live into the new creation that God is calling us to. That's the essence of what we've been speaking about all year long in this whole series of Becoming New and where God wants us to be. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up as we close out today, the challenge this week is to let the Word of God shape you. To let the Word of God be the thing that, that challenges you and, and brings you to a point of newness. And to grant it that kind of access. Do you know that it takes that? You have to allow God's Word 
to speak to you that way. It's not a good idea. It's not an academic exercise. It's not a nice thought here and there. Scripture, all of it becomes God's letter to us, to mold us, to form us, and to help us become new. Amen? Amen. May we live that way. Let me pray for us, and then we'll close with a word of song. Oh God, we're grateful for your word and how it speaks to us. We're grateful for, for all that you do. We pray today that you would uh, continue to speak to us. Continue to, to allow this book to speak into our lives. And, and I pray today that our reaction wouldn't, wouldn't model the Israelites, wouldn't follow the example of the Israelites on this occasion. May we allow it to form us and shape us and to bring us into a new place with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Spirit of the living God, you're welcome in this place. And you're welcome in this place, in our hearts and in our lives. Would you stand this morning as we uh, receive the benediction, those who are able and willing. Uh, as we offer a benediction, we just invite you to hold out your hands to, as a physical reminder that we receive this benediction as a blessing today. All glory to God, who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by God's power at work within us. Glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. May we allow that power to do its work in us, I pray. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us. And have a great week.